Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, it really is such a joy and an honor for me to be here. As uh, Pastor David said a moment ago, my name is Jordan Thomas, and um, it's really a special honor for me to be here when I've had opportunities to be places other than the church where the Lord's called me to serve. I try to rush to give thanks and share appreciation, but um, in all sincerity, it, it really is a special honor for me to be here because uh, I don't think it's possible for me to overstate how much God has used Lucy Baptist Church to influence the congregation the Lord's called me to pastor and serve. Uh, as was already mentioned, uh, I think he said one of your preacher boys, uh, Roger's son, Nathan, most of you, maybe all of you know, uh, is one of our pastors there. And uh, God has used that brother and so many who have God's fingerprints on them through you um, because they were raised here and reared here. So I'm, I'm truly honored and we have benefited so much. You have shaped so many of the fellow members of the congregation where I belong and serve discipling many of them from, from childhood in the scriptures and pointing them to Christ. So I really give God glory for the privilege to spend a few moments with you this evening thinking about such a wonderful theme as the church's prayer. And uh, truth be told, I was jealous that I wasn't able to come last year when I heard you guys were doing these series of August meetings and had the Lord uh, made my schedule available not to lead or preach or teach. I just would have loved to come and benefit. But last year, we started hosting Sunday evening gatherings, and we're doing the same this year, uh, so I wasn't able to come. But I do want to say, just before we dive into the passage we'll look at, not only do I love Lucy Baptist, but uh, I don't want to just profusely effuse flatteries and things that I don't mean. The Lord knows I mean this. I love your pastor. Uh, I love the the grace of God in his life and the humility that I've seen in Pastor David, the way God has instructed and really uh, challenged and convicted me every time I've been able to spend time with him. So, brother, thank you so much for the invite, wherever you are seated. There you are. Uh, thank you, brother, for the invite. Uh, I, I sincerely mean that. Well, we are going to consider the theme of the church's prayer and it's certainly a theme that's near to the heart of our God. And we know so because he said so much about his people coming together for the purpose of prayer in his word. He has so much to say about it. We'd just barely be able to skim the surface tonight. And I know the Lord's taken many of you deep down this pathway, much deeper than me. But the Lord also, we know, has a sense of humor, right? Um, as the Lord would have it, today is my first day back in the saddle from a very blessed sabbatical. About every seven years or so, our church encourages a pastor to go hide away with the Lord for a couple of months to be refreshed in his presence, to really seek the Lord, uh, to rest and uh, to be released from ministry assignments, spend time with family. Well, I just am returning from one of those very blessed seasons and uh, you guys are the are the, are the ones who have to receive the consequences of all of that uh, because today's my first time back. But for the last few months, 
the Lord gave me three themes to really focus on. And to be honest, there are areas where I'm very weak in my walk with the Lord. And so for a year prior to the past few months, I knew that the sabbatical was coming and I asked the Lord, please show me areas where I need to grow, where I'm weak. And there's bunches and bunches of those areas. But the three that bubbled to the top were number one, without a close second, prayer. I need to grow as a man of prayer. The second was delight, joy in the Lord, regardless of circumstances. And the third was mission, telling people about Jesus and using every relationship the Lord gives me to try to introduce uh, the wonders of Christ. So uh, when I got this assignment, it's for my heart. (laughs) It's for my heart. And so I'm very thankful to be able to share it with you. Well, we're going to look at the clean white stuck together pages in our Bible, the, the Old Testament. And we'll think about the church's prayer um, from the book of First Chronicles, and we'll be in chapter 29. So if you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in First Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll think about the church's prayer, beginning with an Old Testament passage, and then kind of working our way into the New Testament under a couple of different themes. First Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to pick up in the middle of a situation where there are some offerings being made in preparation for the temple, which is soon to come and be established. We're in the united monarchy. David is the king in Israel. Everything is going relatively well in the kingdom. And David is offering a prayer, really of dedication, uh, in the prospect of what the Lord is doing among his people and in preparation for the temple. Well, with that being said, I'm reading from 1 Chronicles 29. I'll pick up the reading in verse 10, and I'm reading from the New American Standard translation. Hear the word of the Lord. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Well, would you join me as we ask God just once again for his blessing as we consider this passage? Father, our humble request is not so much that we would understand what the passage says. We certainly ask for that. We know that's the starting point. but much deeper than intellectual understanding. We ask that we would be caught up into this prayer. That it would be the precise expression of our own heart. And really a summary of the communion that we have with you, both individually and together as a local church. Captivate our little souls with the grandeur of who you are. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, as we're thinking about this passage and really using it as a springboard to several other passages, I want to encourage you to be a prayerful listener, not just tonight, but anytime you hear somebody expounding God's word regularly in the privacy of your heart, ask the Lord to minister to you. Uh, As the word of God is ministered to us by the spirit of God, that's when we experience real Christ-like change. And instead of just walking phrase by phrase through those uh, wonderful verses, I want to take from it, we'll zoom in on it, but then zoom out on the larger biblical theme of the church's prayer. I want to make a statement that I wonder if you agree with. I'm not going to ask for an immediate response now. We may have some time uh, at the very end for some interaction, but I want you to think about this. Is it more important for God to hear from us or for, for us to hear from him? Is it more important for us to hear from God or for God to hear from us? Well, biblically, as we trace that question out, it's kind of self-evident. He wrote us a book, a gigantic one, that contains his thoughts toward us and for us, revelations of his character and his work in redemptive history and the lives of our forefathers in the faith, his instruction for our lives today. In addition to his word written, he sent the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Logos, So the question really is uh, easy to answer. It is more important that we hear from God than he hear from us. But it's really not a fair question because prioritizing the order of importance is really unnecessary. I'm thankful to see that on your schedule for August, one of the themes I think the last week with Brother Rich Shadden, one of my dear friends, will be the church's theology. And he'll talk more about us hearing from God, and I'm talking more about God hearing from us in prayer. But we could really ask the question this way or make it in a statement. If we hear from God, truly hear from him, it'll be abundantly obvious because the ricochet effect will be he will hear from us. It's one thing to grasp the verses of the Bible, it's another thing to commune with the God of the universe over what he said. And like the waterfall plunges down to the rocks and the mist rises up, when we hear from God, the irresistible and joyful response is our expressions of praise and prayer and intercession, worship, gratitude, and so forth. You will know that God has hit you with his word when your life ricochets back to him in praise and prayer and petition. So the two themes uh, I want to look at, starting with this passage, is why should we pray together? Uh, I've met many people that have said, well, I have a private relationship with the Lord, and the church is not a building, and we don't need to get together, and it's the people. And in a way, you can agree with all of that. But when it comes to prayer, why should we practice corporate prayer, or as the title of tonight's assignment, the church's prayer. Why should we intentionally, devotedly dedicate times? Well, our first point really speaks to that, and that is praying together amplifies our praises. It's like taking, instead of uh, the cheerleader's megaphone, 
and yelling at the thousands of people in the stands with your one voice, it's more like getting an amplification system, this microphone, and turning it on full blast and amplifying our voices louder than we could ever do by ourselves. Corporate prayer, praying together, has a way of amplifying our voices in the presence of God, and it's right here actually in verse 10. Did you notice the little phrase, so David blessed the Lord, here it comes, in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. And if we continue to read this passage and others that are similar to it, particularly in the Psalms, places like Revelation chapter 19, we'll find that when the people of God are together in prayer, whether it's one voice leading them or all their voices collectively in expression, we regularly find these four letters, A-M-E-N. Amen. Amen. Does that mean we're done talking with you now, God, and we'll interact with each other? No. Sometimes we purposefully at our church intentionally don't say amen just so that we can remind ourselves that we're just continuing to fellowship with the Lord, but in a different way. But amen actually mean, means something. It doesn't mean we're done with God. It means basically, yes, God, do that. We agree. It's like the biblical uh, word in the Psalms, selah, S-E-L-A-H. You may have run into that a bunch of times in the Psalms. And when you come, into the, when you come to encounter the word selah, the best definition or explanation of that word I've ever heard is instead of just a musical interlude, it probably was that. We heard some of that tonight. And certainly the Psalms are musically oriented and songs of praise. But instead of just some kind of musical designation, uh, the best description I've heard came from Brother Stephen Olford, who Pastor Dave and I were talking about tonight. He said it, it means this, what do you think about that? That's a good theological definition. So every time you find that word, it means just stop for a moment and think about it. So the amen is, yes, God, do it. And the selah is deeply ponder these realities. And that's something that happens to us in a special way in times of corporate prayer. The selah would be more like when the whole assembly finds themselves in hushed wonder as we're preoccupied in worship before the face of God, not a scholarly or intellectual response, it's a stunned response at the beauty of Christ and the magnitude of his mercy toward hell-deserving sinners like us. And so when somebody prays in light of those themes or any other biblical theme, the whole congregation then says, amen, yes, God, we agree with that. Do that, Lord. More of that in me, please, Jesus. Well, that's what David's modeling for us here. I don't know if you're familiar with the history of revival in the little country of Wales. A couple of my Welsh friends said, when you look at a globe, you get an accurate rendering of the world, but we like to look at the flat map. And the reason the Welshmen like to look at the flat map is because nine times out of 10, Wales is right in the middle. And so they say, we're the center of the universe. Um, but I don't know if you know the history of revivals in the little country of Wales, but in 1904, there was another wave of really nation-shaping and multi-country impacting revival. I don't know if you've heard how in one of the hamlets of Wales, a mighty movement of God began at midnight. The church had been in a prayer meeting for a couple of hours and a teenage girl stood up in a group probably about this size 
And the church had been burdened to pray about the condition of their community, really the degradation and sin, the rampant alcoholism and immorality that was going on, and the Lord burdened them. So long story short, a, a teenage girl stood up in the prayer meeting at about midnight and said, Jesus, your reputation is at stake. We all call ourselves Christians. We don't really look any different than the world. So for your own honor, would you work in our lives? For your own glory, would you make us look more like Christ? That's the basic summary of her prayer. And God began to move in, in mighty ways as the people started to say, amen. Do that, Lord. This is what David's doing. He's blessing the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. God showed up to church is what Ray, Ray Ortland said happened in that movement. Verse 10 says, in the sight of all the assembly. But notice what David prays. He's not showing off his self-righteousness. He's not just using big fancy words so everybody be impressed with him. He's seeking to help his loved ones be caught up in the wonder of God. He wants to help people exult in the character of God. We'll look at some of the things David says in just a moment, but I just want to stir you again to have a heart even more ready than it already is to receive the things David focuses on. Uh, another illustration comes to mind. Tracy and I and those six kids he talked about went to a remote part of India for the fall of 2012, so seven years ago. And we were there for a little over three months. And it's one of these like thatched hut, kind of mud wall, limited electricity, very limited running water, kind of remote India places. And uh, I was instantly convicted. Because these saints prayed together. And when I say prayed together, I mean like prayed together. For example, every single night, no exception, for the entire duration of our three-plus-month stay, every single night, somebody in the village called a cottage prayer meeting. One example, a senior sister had been blessed with a job in the neighboring rice paddy after she had been out of work for a while. And in the 110 degree, not counting heat index, India heat, for 10 hours she was blessed by the Lord to be able to work. So that night she called a cottage prayer meeting and for two hours a group about this size gave God thanks because he's a benevolent provider. The next night, a lady who wasn't quite so sophisticated, a young mother, to, to know what we all know, that if you just take a couple ibuprofen or Tylenol, it'll relieve a common fever. Well, her teenage son had run a low-grade fever for the previous three days, 9,900 degree fever. His fever broke the day after the previous prayer meeting I told you about. So what does she do? She calls a cottage prayer meeting at her little hut in the village so that for another hour or hour and a half, people can thank God for being Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Well, another night, a young man had been converted. And so what do you do? You call all your friends together and you say, praise God, he's the Lord who saves. He saved my friend. Let's get together and pray about it. Well, with that in mind, look at what we learned from David's prayer. It's really the character of God that stimulates his whole prayer. In verse 10, the Lord God of Israel, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, 
the covenant maker, the covenant keeper. That's the name in the text, Yahweh, the God of Israel. In verse 10, his relational character, our father, or in verse 11, look at the litany of descriptions. You are great, you are powerful, glorious, victorious, majestic. You own everything. Everything in the whole earth is underneath your domain. And now look at this little phrase in verse 11. You exalt yourself as head over all. He's the self-exalting God. Well, just in that verse alone, verse 11, do we not have reason to get together and in the sight of all the assembly, praise him, glorify him? Verse 12, he's endowed with riches from which all others derive their well-being. He's the sole ruler of all the peoples of the earth. He possesses power and might. It's his prerogative to make great and strengthen others. In verse 13, he alone is glorious. Do you think you can find some material in there to give him praise? Well, that's what David's doing, and that's what the people are doing. So corporate prayer, I'm saying, has a unique capacity to ignite God-exalting praise, like that little girl in Wales, not just her heart in Jesus, but our heart in Jesus, and it amplifies our praises. I was speaking at a church not far from here when I was in seminary, and um, a little girl came up to me after the service, and she said, "Uh, Mr., I hear that you're supposed to ask Jesus into your heart. And so I'm thinking, okay, Romans 10, sounds great. Wonder where this is going to go. And this little girl said to me, but Jesus is big and I'm small. And if I ask Jesus into my heart, won't he stick out everywhere? And I said, babe, you got it better than all the big people. That's exactly what it's like. When you hear David's prayer, do you see David? You see this great God, this big God, this wonderful God, this beautiful God. He's sticking out everywhere. That's what happens when we pray together, when we focus on the character of God. But I want you to notice that David didn't want to enjoy this Jesus all by himself, which is why he praised God in the sight of all the assembly. And if we just keep reading along, we find that when we praise him, we're really not content to keep him to ourselves. So although you must have a personal relationship with Jesus, that's like Bible 101, right? We must have a personal relationship with Jesus, but if we read a little more carefully, we find out you can't have a private relationship with Jesus. Very personal, not private. He saves us into his family. And together as his children, we learn to seek him better and honor him more than we could ever do alone, which is the beauty of the local church. And I know this church, uh, like I said, we've benefited so much. I do know your, your pastoral staff, the rich gospel diet that you guys are fed from the word Sunday after Sunday. I was just hearing about Hebrews 12 from this morning, praise the Lord. And what I want to say is may God revive again a spirit of prayerfulness, not just in this congregation, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we became known in the greater Mid-South area as houses of prayer for all the nations, 
places where people could safely seek the face of God and express their praise. Now look at verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, you see this? Your turn. (laughs) Now you bless the Lord your God. Now bless the Lord your God and all the assembly. You see that? However yours renders it, the whole bunch of them blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. So is this only David's voice now? Nope. It's all the people. The conservative estimate that scholars give, if it literally means all the assembly, we're talking like two and a half million souls. One gigantic prayer meeting. This is a Pentecost type situation where thousands of people are together offering their praises to our great God. Well, what I want to say about the church in prayer together is knowing your pastors, knowing your congregation, having benefited so much, I already know something about you. This is the safest place on planet earth for you to express your heart to God. If you were to pray out loud at an appropriate time in a service here, you don't have to fear stumbling and bumbling or what is somebody going to think about the way I say it. It's so irrelevant. This is a safe place of family. I could say it the other way. My, my, if, if we couldn't express our heart to God here, where on earth could we? This is such a sweet gift of God's grace. And the more we lay hold of the privileges that are ours in Jesus, we like to say at our church, loot the treasure chest. The more we devour the blessings that are ours in Christ, the more we'll all benefit. So in verse 10, David says, I'm going to praise him while you agree. And in verse 20, he says, you're going to praise him while we all agree. That's corporate prayer. Well, before we just turn our attention briefly to one other consideration that's so vital for the church in prayer, let me just take a quick summary of some biblical territory in other places. The New Testament church must have understood this truth, praying together, seeking the Lord together. Because in Romans 12, Paul says to the church in Rome, be devoted to prayer. That's not to an individual, that's to the church. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, the very first expression of the church included this sentence. They, that's not me, that's not you, that's us, they devoted themselves to prayer. 3,000 plus newly converted people kind of made sense. What do you do now that this God who loves you so much has saved you? Well, why don't we talk to him and glorify him? Prior to Pentecost, 120 believers in an upper room, Acts 1.14, with one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Or in Acts 12, verse 5, when Peter was in prison, what does the church do? Go home and worry? Nope. They get together, and prayer was being made on his behalf by, quote, the whole church. It's really a Christ-like expression. In Hebrews 5, 7, the Lord Jesus, with loud crying and tears, was praying to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Christ, as we look at him, is constantly modeling a life of communion with the Father. There are some places I was looking at on the sabbatical that really convicted me because I want my life to be like that. 
In one sentence in Matthew, Jesus would be talking to the people around him. In the next sentence, he's talking to the Father. And in the next sentence, he's talking to the people around him. It just seems like he's seamlessly in communion with the Father. But then on many other occasions, we find him in prayer with his disciples. And when they stumble upon him praying, they say, teach us to pray. Not about prayer, but to pray like that. Another Indian story, and tell me how this fits uh, somewhere in your heart. A dear brother who's preached at our church a few times, and we've been to his place several times to serve alongside him. He works in Vinukanda, India, another kind of remote village place. Pastor Samuel Bopery sent this newsletter to me and a handful of others that are on his prayer list. And, and Pastor Bopery said, quote, the midweek prayer meeting is not well attended. Please pray that the church members may be convicted of this sin and repent and return to prayer with their whole heart with their brothers and sisters. Well, time out. Have we just fallen off the boat into legalism? Convicted of this sin for not coming to the midweek prayer meeting? Well, before they answer that question, I'm reminded of actually when uh, Nathan Sawyer and I were having a conversation with Mr. Richard Owen Roberts, a godly brother who lives in Wheaton, Illinois, and, and he was down in our area. And we were talking to him uh, about our church and needs and growth. And he said, and I quote, I would be concerned about the conversion of any person who misses the church's prayer meeting except for reasons of providential hindrance. You tracking with that? I would wonder if they're even a true Christian. And I'm thinking, my goodness, have we fallen into legalism? And then I came across verses in the Bible that say things like this. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Now, that doesn't demand that we do it in a corporate prayer, church meeting kind of way. But when we look at the pattern of the New Testament church, maybe they weren't so far off. Corporate prayer was integral to the life of the churches in the New Testament. It wasn't an add-on. It was essential. And think about this as an, as an incentive to pray together. Our whole life is really owing to other people's answered prayer. If we're in Christ today, there's no telling how many hundreds, dozens, thousands of people prayed for us. Many people, many, many grandmas and cousins and parents and pastors and neighbors and maybe even a random person when you were playing on the sidewalk as a little child was a passerby and just saw you and prayed for you, that Christ would be formed in your heart one day. And, and if God has made us products of answered prayer, how much more motivated ought we be to believe that God would hear and answer our cry? In fact, the New Testament church was so committed to praying together because they believed God would hear and answer and save other people that they decided to do it more often even when unbelievers were with them. Let me give you one example. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, if you're all prophesying... I take that to mean all boldly declaring truth about God, kind of like David's prayer in 1 Chronicles. If you're all prophesying and an unbeliever comes in among you, 1 Corinthians 14 says he will fall on his face 
and say, certainly God is here. Now, wouldn't that be amazing if at Unity Baptist Church, you guys were crying out to the Lord and a bunch of lost people started coming in here, falling on their faces saying, how can I get saved too? How can I know your God too? That's 1 Corinthians 14. Let me ask you another question. Why do you love the Lord? Well, I hope you could come up with gobs and gobs of reasons, but here's one, Psalm 116 verse one. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. And he's turned his ear to my supplication. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. I love him because he heard my little voice. It has to be one of the most stunning truths in the universe that the sovereign potentate to whom David was praying and describes in our passage, the the potentate of the universe listens to little bitty me. But as was prayed a moment ago, I was so encouraged by Hunter's prayer, He does listen to us because of Christ. In fact, he can't refuse us. We're as accepted in the presence of God as our mediator is. And when we come boldly to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus, not only does God hear us, he takes great delight in hearing and responding to our prayers. There's something wonderful When somebody says, I've been praying for you, many of you have had that experience many times, and it's hard to describe how wonderful that is, how encouraging that is. But you know there's something more wonderful about hearing them pray for you. Because God is there then, and he's working in that moment, and he can do it from a distance. He's not bound by time. But when you're able to hear others pray for you, Think about what might happen if this church became even more so known in this community as a place where no matter what's happening in somebody's life, this is a church that will pray for you. Just before Israel went into the promised land, not long after our, uh, before our passage, just before they went into the promised land, God had them do something kind of strange. It was Number one, uh, God had to kill Moses because God, Moses didn't treat God as holy in front of the people when he struck the rock. But another thing he had them do was he got half the tribes on this mountain. You remember? Half the tribes on this mountain. And this half would shout the blessings of the covenant. This half would shout the curses of the covenant. Well, I can imagine if you were standing in that valley, it would sound like thunder was raining down on your head. But if just one person was over there and one person was over there, it probably wouldn't have so much of an effect. That is what I mean by praying together amplifies our voices. It's thunderous in God's presence. It doesn't change him, it changes us, but it reveals that our desire together is for God to be glorified. In Acts chapter 4, that actually happened. More than thunder, it says the place where they had gathered was shaken. There's all kinds of excuses for why we don't pray. And William Cooper, one of my favorite hymn writers, writes a hymn about it. And I want to lay it before you before just one final consideration. Cooper says, what various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat. Yet who that knows the worth of prayer but longs to be often there? Prayer makes the darkened cloud withdraw. Prayer climbs the ladder Jacob saw. 
Prayer gives exercise to faith and love and brings every blessing from above. Restraining prayer, not praying, restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. When Moses stood with arms stretched wide, success was on Israel's side. But when through weariness they failed, that moment Amalek prevailed. And then he starts asking piercing questions. Why don't we pray? Have we no words? Is that why we don't pray? Ah, think again. Words flow apace when you complain and fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Were half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent, our cheerful song would oftener be, hear what the Lord has done for me. Well, may the Lord make us like that. The last consideration, which is just a brief one, and I leave here on on purpose, praying together not only amplifies our voice, but it magnifies our mediator. It exalts Jesus. This is where we zoom out from Chronicles and any other Old Testament passage. This is where we zoom in in the New Testament and see the work of Jesus on our behalf. As we zoom out from Chronicles, we find out who's the one leading this prayer? Oh, it's David. Who's he leading? Israel. Where are they? In preparation for the temple. So this is God's king in the place where God accepts sacrifices, aka the temple. It's not just any random person. And when we read the Old Testament and we immediately kind of assume that we're David in the story, we're really missing the bigger point. David, though he was a man of clay feet and had plenty of sins that we could all name, He was a type of Christ, a representative of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says so, and Jesus himself says so. So the hero of the Old Testament story, it's not us. We're not to identify with Moses or Elijah or David or anybody. You see, David, though a man of clay feet, was the king of God's people at a particular point in redemptive history, and his whole life and his entire role as king was to point us to the Messiah to come, the Lord Jesus. So read of David and Goliath, we don't need to think, oh, I need five smooth stones, you know, strength and courage. And No, no, no. We realize that the champion goes out to battle and defeats the enemy of God's people, and we all stand in the background, nameless and faceless, but we get to celebrate in his victory. Well, similarly, that's what I believe is ultimately being foreshadowed in 1 Chronicles. The English Standard uh, Study Bible said of this passage that David's great prayer is, quote, the climax of his reign, the most like Jesus he ever looked. He's taking God's people into God's presence and extolling God's majesty and kingdom. David is literally foreshadowing the mediatorial work of Jesus. So when I say corporate prayer magnifies our mediator, it really is biblical prayer when everybody is more focused on Jesus, magnifying him for who he is that as was prayed earlier, I love when the spirit does this, Jesus saves us forever because he ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7. Or Hebrews 9 says, Jesus always stands before the face of God for us in verse 24. Or Romans 8.34 says four amazing things about Jesus. He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is seated at, God, seated at God's right hand, who also intercedes for us. That's what David's representing, and that's what Jesus ultimately fulfills. 
You see, prayer is totally impossible unless the gospel is true. Prayer is totally impossible unless the gospel is true. So every true prayer exalts the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We come like Israel came to God through David as the representative, so every believer comes to God through Christ. And when churches do that together, it magnifies Jesus all the more. That, I believe, is why Richard Owen Roberts would say things like, I'm kind of concerned about the spiritual well-being, ultimate well-being of people who just skip the prayer meeting because they don't think it's all that fancy. Well, I'll leave you with this. Let's, there's a lot of controversy over campaign slogans, and I'm not going there. But uh, instead of make America great again, let's make church boring again. Seriously. Let's make church boring again. Let's let that be our slogan, and this is what I mean. Mark Dever said, we ought to pray so much in our church's gatherings that lost people are bored to tears. Let's make church boring again. (laughs) Let's enjoy communion with our Father so much, gathering around his feet so much, so regularly and spontaneously or organized ways or however it looks in our different settings that God is the focal point of our gathering. We hear from him, he hears from us. So our applications, I'll say them in rapid fire and be done. At Lucy Baptist Church, and I would say to Grace Church and have, let's try to do what we see in the Bible. If we see it, let's try to do it and trust that God will grow us and he'll be honored as he strengthens us. I'm not good at prayer. I confess that. That's the whole reason I focused on that in my sabbatical. Grace Church is not good at prayer, but we're learning and growing. But I want to I look like this. You ready for a passage that I thought, there ain't no way that's in the Bible. I had to read it four or five times to make sure it was actually there. Listen carefully. To another place, it's in Second Chronicles, hear this. They entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. Moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets, with horns, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought God earnestly, and he let them find him. Now, time out. Are you kidding me? All Judah said, we got a good idea. Whoever does not seek God with all their heart together with us, let's just put them to death. Now, we thought it was legalistic to just, you know, think ill of somebody's spiritual well-being if they didn't come to the prayer meeting, but they're saying, let's do something worse. But that's not strange. I thought it was strange. How could they be happy about that? But it's not strange when God becomes the dominant reality of his people. And there's something worse than physical death. In the New Testament, spiritual death. It's God just taking his hand off of you, letting you go along your happy way, say your little spiritual phrases, but not really have a heart that burns for Jesus. That's worse than physical death. Spiritual death. So try to do what we see in the Bible. Second, I would say consider that God has chosen the church's prayer life as an essential part of his mission to advance the gospel. Have you thought about this? My house shall be called a house of prayer, but do you know it doesn't end there? For all the nations. 
That either means so that all the nations can come and pray together, a lot of people think that, or it means when we come together, we pray that the gospel will go to all the nations. Either way, they're both true. But Jesus said, that's pretty much what it's all about. (laughs) My house, a prayer house for all the nations. As we look in Revelation 5, 7, 9, 21, that's what we see. The whole earth together, one endless sea of worshipers delighting in Jesus and glorifying his name. Finally, prayer shows our dependence on God. I had to save this for the end because honestly it convicts me big time. How do you know if somebody's a humble person? It's not that they're soft-spoken or they don't like confrontation. Really, the Bible would say the way you know somebody's a humble person is they depend on God. How do you depend on God? Intake of his word and a life of prayer. Humble people are praying people, uh uh-oh, how do we know if we're a humble church? Humble churches are praying churches. And it doesn't matter how much other great things we do, if we're not prayerful, we're not humble. And God loves to bless the place of humility. Grace runs downhill. That's why Ian Bounds, who wrote so much on prayer, said, to talk to men for God is a great thing. That's what I'm trying to do now. But to talk to God for men is greater still. God saves us so that we can join God in delighting in God and churches who are captivated with the gospel of Jesus, his risen victory, all the benefits that are ours for time and for eternity ought to be little outposts of heaven. That's exactly why it's a good reason for us to take a night to consider praying together and what that might look like here at Lucy Baptist Church. Small pockets, whole church, intentional life of beseeching the Lord of the harvest. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.